Anytime we handle the Word of God, we need to have a real level of respect for the Word of God and, and the one who gave it to us, right? And we ask for his anointing and his leadership and his guidance when we speak. Otherwise, you just got to hear another guy or another person with what they had they thought was important to say. But what we need is for God to come and break in on us. And maybe as information is flowing, he will touch it for you and change it into a revelation. And when the revelation comes, that leads to the transformation of our life. You know, when something is, when the lights come on, things change, right? When information is given to us, it can just pile up. And the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so when, when his word is touched by his spirit, an insight comes for you, there comes a change in your life, something that will lead you more closely to him, something that will help you live tighter in relationship with God himself. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we're praying this morning that you will help us come to revelation, that you will open our hearts, open our eyes in the spirit to see something along the way today that will bring transformation to our lives. Father, I ask it in the name of Jesus because he told me that whatever I asked in his name, you would do for me. And I believe you're going to do that this morning, Father, in many, many ways. Lord, it probably happened, and I'm sure in ways that I can't even imagine would happen. Lord, where I put the emphasis, you may not. And where I don't even lean in hard, Father, you might break that to our heart in special revelations. I just pray that you'll have your way and that the Holy Spirit will be in control in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of John by the request of Pastor Rob. But before we do that, I'm going to ask that we go through a series of PowerPoint slides, which I'm not a PowerPoint guy, but it was just... Anybody have a Thompson Chain Reference Bible? A few of us have those. Those are kind of old by now. But in the Thompson Chain, there's a graph in the back, if you have one, that shows this, and it's that in every chapter of the book of John, there's a picture of Jesus. And so I just wanted to share them with you. And this is for free. This is if you don't get anything else out of the service, you'll remember this part, right? The first chapter of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus as the Son of God. In chapter 2, he is the Son of Man. I, I thought I was printing small pictures, Pastor Rob. I'm sorry, I, I printed whole PowerPoints. Anyway, so chapter 2, he's the Son of Man. Chapter 3, he's the divine teacher. I hope they're going right there. Chapter 4, he's the soul winner. Remember the woman at the well. Chapter 5, he's the great physician. Chapter 6, he is the bread of life. One of the I am statements of the Gospel of John. Chapter 7, he is the water of life. Chapter 8, he is the defender of the weak. Chapter 9, he is the light of the world. Chapter 10, he's the good shepherd. Chapter 11, he is the prince of life. Remember Lazarus? Come on out. Chapter 12, he's the king. Chapter 13, he's the servant. Chapter 14, he's the comforter. Chapter 15, he is the true vine. Chapter 16, he's the giver of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 17, he is the intercessor. Chapter 18, he is the model sufferer. Chapter 19, he is the uplifted savior. Chapter 20, he's the conqueror of death. And in chapter 21, he is the restorer of the repentant. Peter, do you love me? Amen.
so you'll get something out of that. And the, and the next slide is the title of the message for me, John 10, 1 through 15, The Good Shepherd and a Good Shepherd. Read with me in John chapter 10. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration But they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And on that verse is the hinge and the reason I prayed what I prayed when we opened the service, when we opened the word. God, help us to be in revelation. Don't let us be dense like these guys. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and he doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And if we could just put that next slide up for the moment while we're ministering, just to bring us back to John chapter 10 the Good Shepherd. I want to spend our time this morning, actually I should say I'm going to spend your time this morning because you've given it to me. Thank you very much. It's kind of you. There's a lot of places you could be on a hot July day or June day here. Big Bear. It's hotter out there than it is in here. Amen. Three points I'd like to make. One is the Good Shepherd, and you'll notice that in that title earlier, the the T and the G and the S were capitalized because we're talking about the Son of God. And when we talk about God himself, we generally capitalize the moment, right? The Good Shepherd. And and I point out that in our language, in English, we have these words that are definitive, the, an, and a, right? Remember what they're called? Definite article. Thank you. Sorry, Doug, didn't mean to drag you back in time. You're retired. If it's A, there could be others. But this is the good shepherd. There's only one. Amen. Jesus, the good shepherd. A good shepherd was all little letters, and we'll get to that a little bit later. The good shepherd, what can I expect from a good shepherd? And who is a good shepherd? Those are the three points. They're real easy, but it's going to take me all morning to get them done. 
verse 1 starts right off in this version. And probably if you have an old King James version, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. When you run into the verily, verilies, they're there for a reason. You know, in the, in the Greek, it means this. And it's kind of funny that you would, I would take the time to look up verily, verily, or most assuredly in the Greek. Why would we study that far in? Because of this. It simply means surely, truly, of a truth. And it's pondered in my mind that if the Son of God says to you and I, what I'm about to tell you is solidly the truth. We'd want to be listening, right? We wouldn't want to miss the point. I want us this morning to see this sanctuary as the sheepfold. You're the sheep. Everybody say amen. Very good. And so the, <laughs> you're, so, you're so compliant. That's wonderful. You know, you want to say amen because if you're a goat, all you say is but, but, but. But this will be our sheepfold this morning, okay? And imagine, if you would, there's a little fence around it, and we're all inside. Do you know what sheep like to do when they're in the sheepfold? No, because we don't hang around with sheep very often. Some of you have raised them maybe, but what they like to do is bump up against each other. There's a bit of solace in that rubbing shoulders, and they, of course, have the padding for it. And I look at us this morning here in our sheepfold, and one of the things that we do when we get together, and Jesus called us sheep, he knew what we were like. We kind of like to rub shoulders. There's something that happens when we rub shoulders with one another. There's a, we call it fellowship. We call it getting to know each other. And I apologize to our new visitors in the back there this morning. I said, you know, I'm sorry, but we kind of attack visitors. <laughs> you know, we were all meeting the baby and who are you and it's so fun. But that's us rubbing shoulders. That's us inside the sheep pen. And so imagine with me that we're here and that. Just like this room is built, there's only this one door. I know there's a door over here, but let's just imagine there's only one door for coming in and out as the birthday boy comes in. Happy birthday, 14-year-old Zachary Hastings, yesterday. We're in a pleasant environment, and we rub shoulders. We feel confident. We feel okay about life when we're here. There's a... a a feeling, whether we verbalize it or not, of feeling comfortable with being separate from everything that's outside. We left it all out there. We left it at home. We left it at work. We're, we're good to be here, and we're comfortable. And that's what sheep are like when they get in the sheepfold. And Jesus says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He who enters by the door is the poimene, the shepherd. This is the definite word that Jesus used in the language when he called himself a herdsman, a sheep herder, one who tends, leads, guides, cherishes, feeds, and protects a flock. This is what a shepherd is. He who comes through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Anybody else that came would try and climb up another way. They'd try and get to the sheep by climbing over the fence or coming on the rocks in the back or getting in another way. But the shepherd comes through the door. There's an interesting thing that maybe you, and I'm just going to give you some information about sheep, not because I'm an, ex, an expert, but because I read about from experts. If you ever, anybody ever read the book, um, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. He's the expert. At night when the shepherds would come in from the fields, if they came into the village at all for to meet their own needs, there would be a large pen like this at the edge of the village. 
and they would come and there would be that doorkeeper and he would open his gate, he would open the door, and the shepherd would lead his flock into that big pen. And maybe he had 50 sheep. And then he would go and take care of himself and the doorkeeper would close and keep him safe. And then another shepherd would come with his 50 and the doorkeeper would open, he'd lead his flock in and then he'd close the gate and the shepherd would go take care of his needs. The next morning after three of these would come, the shepherds would come back out to the door or the gate. And the gatekeeper would open, recognizing the shepherd. He would open the gate, and the shepherd would just begin to call out, or he'd begin to whistle, or maybe he would even begin to sing his own song. And as he did, he would turn his back to the gate and begin to walk away. And what would happen inside that pen with 150 sheep rubbing shoulders in there is that 50 of those sheep would begin to jostle around, make their way to the gate, and they would come out. And after they had all come out, the shepherd wouldn't even have to count them. He might even be calling them all by name. Whatever he did, he would lead them out. And after they had all come out, the other hundred would stay right in place. They wouldn't come out. And the doorkeeper would close. Then the second shepherd would come, and he would open the gate, and he would begin to do what he did with his song or his whistle or his call. And another 50 sheep would follow out. Why? Because Jesus told us right here, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus is the good shepherd. Have you got to know his voice a little bit? You have, haven't you? When you read his word, you hear him speak to you. You hear the Holy Spirit dealing in your heart. He can interrupt you if he wants to and get a hold of your attention in a moment and you recognize his voice. You're one of his sheep, and you're safe when you're in his fold. Jesus, when he, I point out that when he came to Matthew, in fact, the tax collector, What did he say to him? Come follow me. Follow me. Sheep follow a shepherd. And the word follow that's used here, that the sheep will follow their shepherd, or when he called Matthew or the other disciples, James and John, follow me. They dropped their nets and left their business to come follow him. It meant, it's a compound word that means to be together on the same road. In other words, come walk with me, I'll walk with you. This is the spectacular part of looking at the disciples that we love to look at, that he, they had the favor and the privilege of walking and sleeping and eating and being with Jesus and going through the miracles and going through life together with him for all those years together before he left them. And we know the panic that they felt when he said he was leaving. What? You can't leave. This isn't how it works out. But he knew that he had to transmit to them the, the business of the kingdom as he was leaving. But as a good shepherd, he comes to you and I and he says, follow me, follow me. Come and get on the same road with me. And there's, I think there's one other PowerPoint after this one. And just, just to give you an idea of this story I wanted to share, there was an American traveling in Syria and they saw three native shepherds bring their flocks to the same brook. And it's a little hard to see, but um, maybe a little, yeah. It's just a, it's a, it's one of those panoramic, old panoramic pictures, so it's 
displayed twice. He said he, they saw these three native shepherds bring their flocks to the same brook, and the flocks drank there together. And at length one shepherd arose and called out, Mena, Mena, the Arabic for follow me. His sheep came out of the common herd and followed him up the hillside. The next shepherd did the same, and his sheep went away with him, and the man didn't even stop to count them. The traveler said to the remaining shepherd, Hey, give me your turban and your crook and see if they'll follow me just like they do you. And so he put on the shepherd's dress and he called out, Mena, Mena, and not one sheep even moved. They know not the voice of a stranger. Will your flock never follow anybody but you, inquired the gentleman. And the Syrian shepherd replied, Oh, oh yes, sometimes a sheep gets sick. And then he'll follow anyone. I guess I don't need to make the point. You've already made it for me. Now, there's one other story that I've had wrong, and I've shared it here before. Thank you, Pastor Roy. And so I'm going to give it to you correctly this morning, and you can cancel it if you heard the first one. You know, we hear stories, especially as pastors. We use a lot of illustrations. Jesus taught with stories, so we do. But sometimes I can't find the origin. Well, I finally found this one, and so I'm going to get it right. There was a party of tourists on its way to Palestine, and its guide was describing some of the quaint customs of the East. Now, he said, you're accustomed to seeing the shepherd following his sheep through the English lanes and the byways. Out in the East, however, things are different. For the shepherd always leads the way, going on before the flock. And the sheep follow him, they know his voice. The party reached Palestine, and to the amusement of the tourists, almost the first sight to meet their eyes was that of a flock, a flock of sheep being driven along by a man. The guide was astonished, and immediately he made it his business to accost the shepherd. Hey, how is it you're driving the sheep? I've always been told that the eastern shepherd leads his sheep. He says, well, you're you're quite right, sir replied the man. The shepherd here does lead the sheep, but you see, I'm not the shepherd. I'm the butcher. I guess that point makes itself as well. Where is she? We know his voice. The shepherd desires intimacy. He is the good shepherd. And in verse 6, I just say, well, 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 let's not be like those who didn't understand. Jesus says, I'm the door also. I am the door. This is the number three of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the door. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. In other words, all of those who promoted themselves as saviors or teachers or leaders were all pointing at themselves, and they were looking to steal God's sheep away from him. But he said, I am the door. And if you come in through me, what does he say will happen? Verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There is a saving action that takes place when we come through Christ into salvation. It's an actual work. Something happens in us. Amen? Something takes place to where you're different 
than you were before. And many of us have that testimony from our lives that someone who knew us before and someone who knew us after we had met Christ say something radical happened. Something about you is different. And hopefully they'll ask, well, what is it? And we can share the simple statement that Jesus transformed us in an instant. I remember the day that I asked Jesus to come into my heart and life. I was praying with two other guys. And by the time I got done, I was crying profusely down the front. And I, and I wasn't necessarily a crier at that time, but I felt something change. And I didn't know what it was. I mean, I, this was new to me. They said, just pray and pray like this. And I did. And I asked Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my heart, change my life, help me to live for you, and, and take away my past. And when I looked up, the tears streaming down my face, they asked me a really critical question, I'm sure led by the Holy Spirit. How do you feel? They didn't ask me what I thought because I'm not sure I could think straight at all. But they said, how do you feel? I said, I feel like someone has lifted a 90-pound sack of concrete off my shoulders. Because literally, I felt like I could just float away. I felt light. I said, I feel different. I feel, and when I said about the weight on my shoulders, they looked at each other and just grinned and thought, well, that's the load of sin that's just been removed. And I said, well, thank you, Jesus. When we come through the door, a saving action really occurs. It also means that if that transformation took place by coming into Christ, then I also can live in the abundance that he has promised thereafter. It tells me that I've just come into the sheepfold and that I am now safe and I'm one of his. He says those that come through me will be able to go in and out and find pasture. That's what sheep do. They're in the fold, and then they go out and graze, and they get stronger, and they grow. And then they come into a safe place, and they go in and out. And the shepherd will constantly watch for them. I only have 100 of these. So I think that's like 17. So we're, we're moving along. A thief, this is probably the most popular verse in this chapter, is verse 10. If you've memorized any verse in chapter 10, John, it's probably this verse, 10.10. The thief comes not. He doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I hope that when you think of this verse or quote this verse in the future that you'll see it in its context, that you're the sheep that has come in through the door. You're the one that has been saved. You're the one that's been transformed and that now that abundant life is available to you. And any other offer, any other shepherd that tries to sneak in through the side or climb over the back or get into your sheepfold or your experience in any other way is not thinking about your good. They're self-motivated. And whether they are wolves in sheep's clothing or whether they're just disgruntled other people in the kingdom of God that want their own way about something, it still exists that the enemy is at work to steal, kill, and destroy from God's people. You know, some of you may disagree with this, but I'm going to say what I wrote. If you'll, You can just put your fingers in your ears if you want or throw something at me if you'd like. That's fine. But I believe Satan is the chief robber. Amen? 
I don't, I don't think you disagree with that. But after that, see, we tend to focus the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. In fact, I tell people the devil doesn't even show up unless there's an opportunity to steal something, kill something, or hurt something. That's the only reason he ever comes. But what, what happens beyond that? Jesus is actually, if you'll look at this in context, in chapter 9 was dealing with a group of Pharisees who were those people that Jesus would shake his finger at and say, you know, you stand in the doorway and you won't go in and you won't let anybody else go in. You propose to be righteous, but you don't live it. He told the people that he was teaching. Jesus said that you, you and I and the group that he was in front of him at the time, he said, listen to them for they sit in, in Moses' seat. In other words, they're the leaders of the law department. They know the law. And if they tell you to do something because the law says so, we'll do it because that's the law. He said, but don't live like they live. Isn't that one of the things we are concerned about when we're following others in the kingdom of God? Are they living what they're saying? So there are Pharisees in today's world too. Amen? There are Pharisees that would say and not do. And believe me, anytime you can ask any of us who've had to stand on this side and teach or preach or share, and if you've ever done it, you'll feel it too. Even if you share your testimony in the cell group, the enemy will come to tap on your shoulder and say, but you don't live that. And I would be the first to admit, I can't live everything I've preached without the grace and help of God. <laughs> it's, I'm not a Pharisee. I can't keep the law. I don't do it all right. I have to lean totally into Jesus Christ and say, by your strength and by your life in me, I will experience the abundance that you promised in this verse. I'm only a sheep. There are those who split churches. There are those who get disgruntled with the leadership in their church, and they'll, but they want to follow Christ, so what do they do? They open a little home Bible study. And they want to attract people to that because if you can attract people to that, then you have cause for what you've done. You have justification for what you've done. But I want to warn you that in the kingdom of God, there are people that do that. Not all of them. I'm not upset with anybody here this morning. I'm just saying that the danger is eventually it will come to steal, kill, and destroy if their motives are not correct. I've been in this business a long time, and I've seen it. Verses 11 through 15, Jesus summarizes saying, I am. Again, by the way, this is number four of seven I am's in the Gospel of John. I am the good shepherd. Before we just sum it up with that sentence and say, it's a title, I want to break it out and say it's more than a title. The good shepherd is what we think of in John chapter 10 and in this passage, but have you ever stopped to think, what does good mean? Is there a bad shepherd? Is there a mediocre shepherd? Probably. But Jesus said, I am the, number one only, good shepherd. So it behooves me to break it out. What does it mean? What does good mean? It's a descriptive word in his language that means that which is beautiful that which is pleasing, that which is acceptable, excellent, serviceable, attractive, and honest. 
When I use the word honest, I think of something that's pure all the way through. It's honest. It's steadfast from one side to the other. It doesn't matter if it's a piece of material or a piece of wood or a piece of steel or a person. It's honest. It's pure from one side to the other all the way through. It is the same. And Jesus said, I am the good, pure, honest, serviceable, excellent, beautiful, attractive shepherd. The one who cares for your soul. The one who cares for your spirit. And the contrast that he uses as a summary is a hireling. A person who just does it for the bucks. A leader who just wants the paycheck. Just give me the money and let me do my job. You don't really feel cared about by them. You just feel watched over. But when trouble comes, Jesus says, that guy's on the road. Because he doesn't include protecting you in any way in his job description. As long as you're happy and you can eat and you can come into the fold at night and you can kind of drink some water and you get healthier and I get paid, that's all I need. I just use you for my paycheck. Jesus said, that's not me. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. There's another account of a man talking to one of these eastern shepherds and as he was putting them into a fold, it was pretty much just a rocky place on one side and some bushes and some other rocks on another side, but the front was open. And as he was putting his sheep in there for the night, the observer said to him, well, there's no, there's no gate. There's no protection on this side. What will happen if a wild animal, a wolf, or whatever comes, whatever you're keeping them safe from, what happens when something comes to attack the flock? He says, they won't get in because I'm the door. I will lay down here and I will sleep in this opening. And literally, we might even think of the phrase, over my dead body. Is that shepherd's attitude. I'm keeping these in here for abundant living. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You think of King David going and stripping the sheep out of the mouth of the wild animal and taking control saying, you're not getting my sheep. I don't care how big a bear you are. I don't care how big a lion you are. You're going to die today. Because David was a shepherd. The good shepherd, Jesus. In fact, let's look at Psalm 23. If you haven't already... If that hasn't already come to your mind, this should come to our mind when we think of the Good Shepherd. It's a psalm of David, who himself was a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Sheep cannot take care of themselves. Everybody say, Amen. Again, that's us. We think we can take care of ourselves. We think we can do it our own, but the Bible tells us sheep, and history tells us sheep can't take care of themselves. In fact, a sheep, if it puts its head down to graze and eats for 10 feet, can look up after that 10 feet and not know where it is. Now, that's hard to imagine for me, but that's the truth. They can put their head down and eat. And if while their head's down and they're grazing 10 feet away, if everybody else left and they looked up, they would not have a clue where to go. And so what will they do? Just keep eating. Doesn't matter. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to eat. 
If there's something to eat, we'll eat it. And if it goes that way, we'll follow it. But when we look up, we're lost. There's a lot of messages in here from Jesus that we're, you hopefully are getting some of those. I, I know I prayed you would. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That, the day that we say, I don't have enough, the day that we verbalize and, and complain and say things aren't right, and we need to catch ourselves and say, wait a minute, I'm actually saying that he's not the good shepherd. I'm actually stating that he doesn't know what I need. I'm saying out loud that he must not have attention on me. But that's not true. He came that we would have abundant life. He came to be absolutely personal with every one of us. We need to catch ourselves and say, wait, I'm under the care of the good shepherd. I must have no lack. I may not have what I think I need or what I want, but I have no lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Philip Keller, the shepherd we mentioned earlier, wrote, The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. First, due to their timidity, they must be free from all fear. Next, because of their sociability, they must be free from friction with others of their kind. Dramatic pause. There's a message in there somewhere. Next, third, they must be free from flies or parasites if they are to relax. And lastly, they will not lie down unless free from hunger. Those four things are only provided by the shepherd. The sheep cannot provide any of those four things for itself. The shepherd does it all. It's only the shepherd that can release them from their anxiety and the Lord does it for us. He leads me beside still waters. Uh, this, I don't know, this, this is a good PowerPoint. This is a good picture for us. Sheep won't drink where the water's bubbling up, where it's moving too fast. They'll shy away from it. It has to be calm. And so you can see these shepherds take their sheep down to the long bend in the river where it's slow and easy, and the sheep are safe, and they know they are. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says our, our outward man is perishing day by day, but thank God he is renewing us all the time, right? He restores my soul. This, the word soul is nefesh in the Hebrew. Nefesh is way more than our English word. When we say soul, your mind probably says spirit, body on both sides. It's like a, in the parentheses, spirit, soul, and body. And we segment ourselves into these three pieces in the English. But in, in the Hebrew, nefesh means the entire person. The whole life of a man or a being. He restores my soul. He restores everything I am. It also is a word that's, when he says restore, it also means rescue. I mentioned that sheep could get lost in 10 feet. Why did Jesus say he was going to go after the one in 99? Because the one is lost and it cannot ever find its own way home. If it's lost, it's going to stay lost. The 99 are safe. The 99 are okay. That's why you leave the 99 and go after the one. And when you go find the one, this is 
again, Philip Keller would say, this is my maybe what you'll find. They were grazing along, and they were getting full and happy, and they saw that big, dark green spot in the earth, and all that long, lush grass. They thought that would be a great place to lay down. And so he goes to lay down, and he hits it, and it's a little indentation. That's why the grass is longer and it's dark green. A little indentation in the earth, and that little sheep will roll over on its back. Those little stickly legs straight up. Can you see that in your mind? That sheep can never, on its own, upright itself. Can't. Not going to happen. It'll kick its feet. It'll start doing its bleeding. It'll start calling for help. <laughs> And it'll kick and kick and kick. Pretty soon it'll quit calling for help and it'll just kick. And if it stays there long enough, the gastric system of a sheep will literally cook him from the inside out. By his own, his own internals will kill him. The shepherd knows this. And when you get off course and you lay down in the wrong spot and your little feet are up in the air and you're kicking and screaming, <laughs> Jesus is looking for you. Because he knows you don't have, you have the ability to complain and kick and scream and bleat, but you may not have the ability to upright yourself. It may not always be him that comes personally. It could be a friend of yours. It could be your neighbor. It could be your other brother or sister in Christ. It could be somebody in your cell group that comes looking for you and says, man, what are you doing with your feet in the air? You're silly. You're so silly. What did you lay down that little rut for? Get out of that rut. And the shepherd of your soul will upright you. And then he'll begin to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There are right paths to dwell in. The Bible tells us there are right paths. There are righteous ways. And he leads us in those ways. Why? Well, we're beneficiaries. It's part of the abundant life. But also, it's for his name's sake. Jesus told us that they would, the world would know that we were believers. Why? Because we loved one another. They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. They'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you gather up and rub shoulders every now and then and do all that thing together. You're different. But it's for his glory. It's for his honor. The sheep don't get the honor. They just get sheared. Hopefully sheared and not lamb chops. But he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So that we come to this next part. This is pivotal in this psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. F.B. Meyer. Sometimes even the right path proves to be dangerous, which is why sheep need their shepherd to stay with them as their good companion. The shepherd is conducting, he pictures it like this, the shepherd is conducting his flock toward their fold in luxuriant pastures and in quiet resting places. But suddenly, the path turns downward and begins to wind toward the ravine below. On one side is a precipice, yawning in sheer descent to the steep riverbed where the water foams and roars, torn by jagged rocks. On the other side, the mountain firs cast a somber shadow in the deepening twilight. The path still plunges downward until it passes into a deep and narrow gorge overhung by the frowning battlements of rock. <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death is a dangerous place. 
Yet through it all, the good shepherd stays with his sheep. The closeness of his presence is emphasized in this chapter, F.B. Meyer says, because up until now, David has been talking about the shepherd out there. But in this verse, he says, you are with me. It becomes personal. God is no longer in the third person. He's not just somebody we're talking about around us, but he's the one who's with us when we hit the valley of the shadow of death. How many of you, might I just ask for a show of hands, would say sometime in your life you found that valley? You've been through it. It's a dangerous place. A lot of it speaks of depression and danger, and F.B. Myers ends up this piece by saying, it's as if the shepherd has turned back to help his sheep up on the green meadow. It was comfort enough simply to follow the good shepherd, but down in death's dark veil, a sheep needs his shepherd by his side, and the shepherd is right there offering protection, listen, not only from danger, but also from the fear of danger, which often is worse than the danger itself. Amen. Can I read that one again? The shepherd is right there offering protection not only from danger, but also from the fear of danger, which is often worse than the danger itself. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Moments ago he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, at the end of the day, the shepherd would take his staff and he would put it down just a little bit above the earth. And he would hold it across the opening as they were coming in. And each sheep had to jump over his staff to get in. Every now and then one would trip and not quite make it. He'd hold that one off to the side. And he'd get them all in. Everyone that couldn't jump the staff at night was held off to the side next to him. And then after they were all in safely, he would go to this group and begin to examine why they couldn't jump the staff. They were weak. They were injured. They'd gotten into a briar bush, scrapes, cuts, bruises, whatever it was. And he would begin to take out his packet of oil and begin to rub the wound with the oil because he would begin to bring healing to that part of the sheep that was injured. You felt it. You've known this. You've had those times when he did this for you. He was the only one who knew you were hurting. He was the only one that knew you were bruised. And he came with his oil. And he began to minister to you. This is our good shepherd. This is the one who knows us intimately. When he says, you anoint my head with oil, he's talking about the intimate personal care of the good shepherd. My cup runs over. Imagine this. The shepherd has his own cup. He drinks from it. But when he brings them into the fold, they're not near the brook anymore, so he takes his own source of water and he fills his own cup and he offers it to each one of the sheep. And the sheep drink from his cup, his personal cup. And he keeps it full and they drink so they don't have to reach so far down in it to get something. David says, my cup, my cup runs over. He has it so full for me all the time that it's overflowing. I'm thinking of John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Not so shallow you're straggling for it all the time, sticking your tongue way in there, trying to get some refreshment. 
He says, no, I'm going to bring it in abundance for you, the refreshing for your soul. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would we ever want to leave the sheepfold? Well, I'm sure that things are running through your mind, good reasons too. <laughs> it's usually some other sheep that got under your wool. <laughs> some other shoulder that didn't like rubbing on yours and, and said, I'm out of here. And maybe, maybe not this morning. We're here. We're talking to the fold. I mean, we're obviously wandered into the right spot this morning. Maybe there was that time or those folks that you know that are injured and wounded and they're out there. I'm going to bring back a prophecy that the Lord spoke to this congregation years and years ago. He said, I'm going to bring the wounded, the bleeding, and the matted sheep. And they need to find it for us. A wounded sheep is somebody that's been picked off by a church. Churches know how to wound people. Deeply. Wound is a deep thing. So you're going to find them. They're going to be hurt. I'm going to bring them to you because they got hurt deeply by another congregation. That doesn't mean ours is perfect. Amen. We can wound too. We know how. That's because we spend, we spend time close enough to each other that it's, we know what buttons to push. And we can be brutal. And God says, I'm going to bring you the wounded sheep. I'm going to bring you the bleeding sheep. Well, bleeding sheep are usually just got a little cut. They're the ones that got hurt by some fellowship group. You know, they got into a group they thought was going to be great, and they didn't have to go to a regular church or whatever. They didn't have to go Sunday. They could go Thursday or something. And, but they got nicked, and they're bleeding. And they're going to come and see, is this the right place? Is this where God wants me in the fold? And when they come, recognize they're bleeding. They need help. Matted sheep. He'll send you the bleeding, the wounded, and the matted sheep. Matted sheep are those that decide to go out on their own. They don't have anybody to shear them. They don't have anybody to take care of them. They don't have anybody to rub oil, give them a cup that runs over. They just go out, and they grow, and they get matted, and they get briars in their coat, and, and they can't do anything about that. You know, we just, the only thing we could hope for is that they don't lay down somewhere where the legs stick up. Because then they're going to be in real trouble. God said, I'm going to bring you the bleeding, wounded, and the matted sheep. And some of us might even say, yeah, I was one of those. That's how I got here. I was wounded. I was bleeding. I was mad. God said, I'm going to help you to do these things for them, to bind up their wounds, bind up their brokenheartedness. I'm going to help you pour in the oil and fix their bleeding. And I'm going to help you comb them out and make them productive again. So if you've come and that's you, welcome. Welcome. You don't have to admit it. You don't have to go, hey, that's me. Just say, I'm home. Now, briefly, I need to finish, don't I? No one said amen. I like that part. I like that part. In, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he left some gifts for the church. They're listed for us in Ephesians chapter 4. Because Jesus, the good shepherd, was not going to be ever present physically with us. He said, I'm going to leave some gifts for the church. And I'll just get right to 
verse 11. He, capital H, talking of Jesus. And he himself, capital H again, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I could go on, but I don't want to be distracted by the rest of the content. What I want to point out is in verse 11, Jesus gave to the church the remaining body that would begin to assemble and follow him and come to salvation, coming through the door. He gave to the church pastors. This word is poimene. It's the same word that Jesus used about himself in John chapter 10. To me, that is significant. If Jesus said, I am the good poimene, and when he ascended to heaven, he said, and I'm going to leave you poimene, those who are like me, those who are shepherds like myself, those that will demonstrate my character, my nature, and my ability with you and stay with you. They're going to be physically present with you. These are people. There's one sitting on the front row over here in a black shirt. He's not a black sheep. He just wears a black shirt. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter's writing in verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. I'm saying to you, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Poimane them. I, I would go back to the definition of, of the shepherd. He's a herdsman, a sheep herder, one who tends, leads, guides, cherishes, feeds, and protects a flock. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, the hireling, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the chief poimane, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Acts chapter 20. In case you're wondering, I am not going to read the whole Bible. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and there's a long dissertation, but when he gets to verse 27, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. What did I mention earlier? It still happens. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brothers, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Shepherd the flock of God. Elders, watch out for the sheep in which God has amongst, 
whom God has planted you. When he was talking to the Ephesus elders, do you know who became the pastor at Ephesus? Timothy, the one who traveled with Paul all the time. The one that Paul said about this, this is what Paul said of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. I have no other like-minded man who will sincerely care for your state. And he sent him to be the pastor at Ephesus, which history tells us had somewhere between twenty-five and 30,000 people in it. That shaky little Timothy grew up to be a shepherd, a poimene. He was a mere man. Paul knew that, but Paul had tutored him. Paul had readied him. Paul got him situated and then said, go and lead those people, and it grew to twenty-five or 30,000 followers in the city of Ephesus. one left. It's a short one, too. Hebrews chapter 13. This is point number three, if you haven't decided with me that it was. The good shepherd, that's Jesus. What can I expect from the good shepherd? All those things we talked about in Psalm 23. But now I'm talking about a good shepherd. What's A? Little A. Little G. Little S. Shepherd. Those are the under-shepherds of God. Israel considered themselves and described themselves as the flock of God. And they called God their chief shepherd. He was the one who managed over the entire nation. We're his elect and selected people. And so they had this relationship. They spoke of it in that way because of the intimacy they wanted to have with God in demonstrating who they were as a nation to the rest of the world. And Jesus picked it up and said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been talking about. And the Bible records for us that they rejected him. Amen? His own did not receive him. But you and I got in. Amen? It's one time when it's not a bad deal to be a Gentile. We're in. We're grafted in, but we're in. We're his kids, and there's no longer Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, or free. It's all one in Christ. And then he says, now you're my flock. And he's going away, and he gives gifts to the church, and he says, here's a pastor for you. And the pastor assembles other leaders, elders, the body, to get together to oversee the church or the local expression of the, the universal body of Christ that is worldwide. But we are a local expression. So I want to put a little pressure on Pastor Rob this morning and on those that he assembles or God gives him as elders to the flock. It's your responsibility to be like Psalm 23 for us. That's a big ticket, but it's what we need. In fact, let me share this story with you that there was a dinner party given. A lady gave a dinner party, pretty high-level thing, a lot of important people there, pretty poshy, got out the china and the glass and everything. And there were all the, you know, kind of who's who of the city came and in that group was an actor who was known for his eloquence. He was a perfect speaker. And she also invited her pastor. And so after the meal, and everybody was, you know how it is, after dinner you're kind of loose and everybody's happy and we're all friends. She stood up and said, hey, I have an idea. We have the actor here, who we know to be eloquent, and my pastor. Let's, what do you say as entertainment? Let's have them both quote Psalm 23. And the pastor yielded, and the actor stood in front of the dinner party, 
word for word, perfect from memory, Psalm 23. Perfect inflection, perfect pause. His eloquence was not to be compared to anyone. His enunciation was absolutely right on. And when he finished with forever, everyone applauded. Then they turned to the pastor. He stood and he wasn't as eloquent. He was kind of gruff. His voice was gone from preaching for years. Hands were rough. Didn't have the best dress of the whole group. But he stood up and he began to quote the 23rd Psalm. And when he finished, everyone in the room was crying. Everyone. And after that went by, someone went to the actor and said, can you explain that? He said, oh, of course I can. It's easy. I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. This is what we want as sheep. We want a shepherd who loves us. And God gives us pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Jesus gave them as gifts to the body. And he charges the elders in these congregational moments. I read for you in Acts, Peter, Hebrews. Let's, let's finish, finish at Hebrews in verse 7 of chapter 13. It says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17, obey those who rule over you. By the way, the word rule, if you're offended by that, can be translated lead, just like a shepherd. Obey those who lead over you. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Not for them, but for you. There comes a point when we say, I'm a sheep, and I was built to follow. And some of us are called to leadership, and we need to rise to the occasion. And I want to challenge the men as I close in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this to Pastor Rob as well. Paul writing to Timothy, the one he put in at as the pastor at Ephesus said, Youth, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It takes grace to be a pastor. It takes grace to be a leader in the body of Christ. We're not perfect. We offend. We say the wrong thing at the right time. Sometimes we say the right thing at the wrong time. And every now and then we get the right thing at the right time. But we offend. We don't mean to. We just do. I probably offended you somewhere this morning, but because I made you cry, you've already forgiven me. And I'm grateful because I have to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Not the power to be perfect. Not the ability to be legalistic. Not better than you in order to teach you how to be like me. That's not, the, that's not how it works. I have to live strong in the grace of Jesus and then present to you that it's possible to live by the grace of God. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility as elders and leaders in the body of Christ is to search out the men in the congregation that can carry the load of teaching the word of God, who can carry the responsibility of taking the truth and passing it to another generation. It's a big responsibility. It's hard to let go of the leadership. But he calls us to be shepherds and to raise up other shepherds. He calls us to live the life in front of you 
and to help others rise to the occasion and do the same. Men in the congregation need to come back to the leadership of the church. We need to lead. We are the fathers. I like it when it gets quiet. It's okay. It's up to us to know the word of God, to transmit it to our families, and to let our families come on display as what the church looks like. And it's up to us to lead. If you've been sitting back, guys, I'm going to challenge Pastor Rob to find you and for you to find him and say, what do I need to carry? What is the truth I need to hold? That's our responsibility, to give them truth. We may not more, know more than you in any other department of life, but it is up to us to know more about the Word of God and our fellowship with Him needs to be closer so that you are hungry to have what we have. I don't think I have that all the time, but I'm challenging Pastor Rob this morning and the leaders of this congregation to have it and to be salt and to make others thirsty for it. Do you feel the pressure? I was hoping you would. The benediction we find at the end of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brothers, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule, quote, lead over you, and greet all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. We need his grace today, don't we? We can do this. We can be good sheep. We can become leaders because we're following the best example that ever has been. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. It got warm in here. I'm not sure it's a long sleeve shirt. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that I can call you that. That you're not just a friend and you're not an acquaintance. But you are our Father. You taught us to pray it that way so we wouldn't forget our Father, who art in heaven. You have personally birthed us into your kingdom through the person of your Son, Jesus. And we've been transformed. And this morning we pray. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that transformation will come to us through the revelation of your word. That you will show us the truths that we've seen today as we walk them out this week. That they'll become more and more apparent to us how to live the abundant life that Jesus came to provide for us. And I pray that you'll give Pastor Rob and the elders of the congregation the grace that they so need to lead us and to help us and to keep us safe and to stand at the door for us and to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us in person so that we can experience who you are through them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings on you.